Welcome to episode 56 of A Sporting Discussion, your podcast that discusses sports of all sorts. I am AJ Mithin and I am joined again by Andrew Donison. Andrew, we've been a bit patchy the last couple of weeks. Would you like to apologise? Okay. Sorry everyone for AJ's tardiness. Yes, sorry. We've had a week off here and there, but we are back. And this week we have a very, very special guest. It's Sam Duncan, lecturer in sports media at Holmes Glen Institute, contributor to The Age, the AFL Record and Eon Sports Radio and author of the book Footy Grounds to Grandstands. Hi Sam, how are you? G'day. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. No problems. In this episode, we're going to talk to Sam about all things sports media, including the recently announced changes to the anti-siphoning list in Australia and how media is also changing across Australia sport. You, we've done a few podcasts on this. It's one of our good, good, uh, good fun subjects that we like to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't forget also that this show relies on your input. You can hit us on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. Make sure you have your say on the big sporting issues of the week. And we say this every week. We now have Facebook audio message capability. Uh, go to Facebook Messenger, leave us an audio message, uh, keep it clean and brief. I have no idea how it works, so I leave that all in AJ's hands. But AJ, we have a guest sitting here with us. Let's very quickly run through confirmations and corrections, proudly brought to you by Ultimate AFL Trivia. Search for them on Facebook where you can get in contact with them if you would like to run an AFL-themed trivia at your club or event. Anywhere in Australia, massive one. I think it was last Thursday. Last Thursday night in, in Melbourne. Melbourne. Oh, geez, they're still writing songs about it. I was all clear yourself. I was all clear. All right, let's get into this properly. Sam, welcome to a sporting discussion. Thank you very much. Great to be here, guys. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. Why don't you tell us and the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, where you've come from, where you've gone? Well, as you said, I'm a lecturer uh, in the Bachelor of Sports Media and Sport Business at Holmes Glen. I've been doing that for about three years. Prior to that, I worked in PR um, uh, for a company called Javelin. We did a lot of sports sponsorship leverage, um, but I was working on my PhD along the way, and as soon as I got that, and uh, I thought I'd give academia a bit of a crack. Oh, so we should have, we've introduced you incorrectly then. Is it Dr. Sam Duncan? Well, yes, <laughs> although... <laughs> Although if you weren't feeling well or you had a bad shoulder, I'd be absolutely no, uh, no good to you. You, so. don't, you. you don't put your hand up on planes? <laughs> no, absolutely. Right. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, so guys, yeah, really enjoy that. As you said, I do a bit of media um, on the side or try and keep my finger on the pulse, do a few um, articles with the age when the subject topic arises that I would know anything about, writing a column for the AFL record this year and contributing to Eon Sports every Monday. So... Um, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. I'm a country boy uh, from Yarrawonga, but been down here in uh, Melbourne for, for quite a while now. All right, let's play a little bit of music, and then I've got a question because I want to ask about the AFL record. Sam, I mentioned that I would like to talk about the AFL record. I remember being out at VFL Park paying 80 cents for a little A5 record and it would have the B versus C and you'd look up at the scoreboard and see who was winning. It's changed a little bit in that time, become bigger, become glossier, become more expensive, but it's also contained a whole lot more information and interviews and really interesting content how's it like how's it changed over time in your eyes well, as you said, uh, you know, it, it was once upon a time synonymous with going to the footy whereby everyone would buy one. Um, it didn't cost you much and, you know, you would have it for a particular purpose, a little bit like the critic in the country papers, uh, country footy league still. But now, you know, I guess the expectation is that content is king and as mm-hmm. a result it's become a lot more content-focused. Um, it's got a particular demographic, I guess, that would purchase it now rather than everyone buying it. It is probably your older demographic, your mums and even grandparents Mm. that go and still like to, you know, look at the names and numbers. But accompanied with that, it's, it's, you know, a lot more content, a lot more features, a lot more insight, I guess. You know, it is treated very much like a magazine. I was going to say, yeah, it's turned into what we used to call a traditional magazine. 
Yeah, yeah. true. <laughs> and it's also available now much more content online as well. Yeah. Spot on. I mean, it's one and of those... the news agents. Yeah, it is available yeah. at news agents, which is really interesting. They mm. did trial it, you know, um, as a digital product um, and hope that you would access it very much like a magazine um, for the footy. But they found it didn't necessarily work, you know, as well as they were hoping. It's one of those strange print products that has actually increased in readership over the last... <laughs> couple of years so they're pretty happy with that and (laughs) you know I guess that's why the emphasis is on good quality um, content so that when people go they are willing to pay the five dollars to be you know entertained and enlightened not just on the day but throughout the week. Because I remember we used to get to the, the game at halftime of the reserves and so it would serve a purpose there. You'd be looking through and go, oh, that's Dominic Berry, okay, go. Like, so you'd know who the players in, in the resis were and we'd you know like write down what our crowd estimates were with my, my mum and dad. My sister still does like get a copy and mark down the goals every single week. We would also keep copies of like souvenirs of grand final records as well. There's a, a cardboard box in mum and dad's, or actually in my old bedroom at mum and dad's house, which has all of the 1980s grand finals that Hawthorne were in. And I still know, like you see the front page and you know what year that was from. It's just, oh, I love the record, but I'm, I don't buy it anymore. And I don't know why. Well, I guess, you know, you can access the names and, you know, numbers on your phone. Yeah. Others others just know who they are, I mm. guess. A lot of them will get, you know, if there's a special edition, a Bob mm. Murphy 300, yeah, yeah. Collingwood 125-year anniversary, they're very important for those, I guess, milestone moments for club supporters. No twos these days either, Andrew. So I know. You've got to go to a VFL ground and get that record there. All right, that'll that'll do with indulging You're me right. you, on the you're coming the back from memory lane. Oh, I love it! I still remember the front page of round seven, All round right. eight, All with Chris right. Lewis holding up six or seven fingers because <laughs> West Coast had won that many in a row. <sighs> oh. All right, well, let's stop looking back and let's look forward to the recently announced changes to the anti-siphoning list mm. for sports broadcasting in Australia. Sam, I think. It was the the usual suspects are untouched. Uh, AFL, NRL, uh, World Cup final, I think it is. I've got a list in front of me with the Ashes, Test 21 days. Cricket in Australia, let's just call it. Uh, the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games, you you know the big events, you know what is that. But some other things are up for grabs now, which includes games that don't include Australia, uh, Wimbledon, the US Open, uh, but... What I'm more interested in about, there's 30 million set aside or mandated for to assist Fox Sports in coverage of women's sports or niche sports that require attention. Now, that's a whole mouthful to throw at you, but uh, what's, what's your take from the, uh, the proposed changes? I think the majority, in fact, probably all of the proposed changes are really good, both for media and for the sports. I mean, increasingly... The difference between a popular sport and a not-so-popular sport here in Australia is quite simply how much media coverage it gets. Mm. Um, and increasingly, sports are so reliant on the broadcasting rights fees that they get. I mean, you look at you know even the biggest of clubs in Australia, talk AFL, talk NRL, very few of them are actually self-sufficient. The mm. AFL gives every single club at least $10.5 million, mm. much of which comes from the broadcasting rights. Mm. Now, what does all that mean? Well, when we think about sports, they want to sell their broadcasting rights a lot of the time to the highest bidder. Mm. Not the highest free-to-air bidder, the mm. highest bidder. So this then starts to open things up um, to them and they can go to Fox and, you know, and other even streamers. As we advance, mm. expect to see Telstra and even Optus get more involved in this. Um, I think it's terrific uh, that the that the government is encouraging subscription television to cover a lot of female sports and niche sports because otherwise they'd be left behind. And to be frankly honest, we want more people engaged in those types of sports. We want those sports to thrive. And the only way they will ultimately thrive in the commercial world is if they get more television coverage, which will lead to more sponsorship, more 
promotion, more participation, more membership. I mean, mm. the flow-on effects are exactly that. Yeah, and we, we've talked exactly about that in recent episodes. AJ mentions the Australian Baseball League often. We spoke to Sally Phillips, head of the WNBL. Yeah, about oh, just to jump in, they've cut their own – they've cut a deal with Fox Sports just in the last couple of weeks for one game a week and all of the finals. So congratulations, Sally. And Because yeah, like, she was saying that it would – Cost. It's about well, it was a couple. Of, it's got to cost two mil to do the entire well, season. Gonna, I'll ask you about this, Sam, because a lot of the there's a misconception due to what happens with the AFL and the NRL that leagues are that cha- uh, networks go to leagues and throw money at them to be on, but it's just not the case. Well, we know the NBL paid Fox's production fees. I'm sure there's a deal with the WNBL that they pay yeah. some production fees, and I think the the ballpark figure. W- I've heard from the ABL and the NBL and the WNBL for Foxtel basically is about forty grand a game to cover that to cover that cost. So I guess uh, a thirty mil pool because what did Sally say? She said about a million dollars will cover a game a week plus the finals. Yeah, but they'd need to get that back in sponsorship and advertising and all those sort of things. But you'd get that back, wouldn't you? Well, potentially. I mean, uh, to your point, producing sport, covering sport is very expensive. Mm. I mean, we saw the recent uh, recommendation to Channel 9 saying, you know, you're paying $100 million a year. You're only getting around 60 or 70 million back in advertising. It's effectively costing you $30 million a year. Hmm. And that's a popular sport. I mean, yes, yep, ratings yeah. have been down in Test Match Cricket, but it's still the dominant sport. And they can still get over a million viewers per session, um, you know, when we've got the Ashes or another big Test Match series here. So, to your point, no. I mean, it is a complete mis- misconception to think that um, broadcasters are falling over themselves to mm. broadcast sport. It'd be nice though. But yeah. They're yeah. bidding big dollars to broadcast popular sport because yeah. getting mass audiences to television now is very difficult with so many different streaming services and ways we can watch things. But sport is unique in that it's best consumed live yep. as it's happening. Mm. But still, unless it's a big ratings winner, advertisers are not necessarily going to want to advertise with them. Sponsors are not necessarily going to want to do that. They'd rather do it in more targeted ways. So, you know, it's difficult to get the coverage and the government obviously has recognised that and anything they can give broadcasters to broadcast a broader section of sport, I think is a good thing. There was another aspect to that announcement which I am trying to remember. It was around the the fees and a lot licensing fees that uh, commercial had to or commercial stations had to pay, and I'm trying to think of how that links in. Is this for the budget changes? Yeah, yeah. I think. Um Radio licensing fees went right down. That's the one. And I think there's some other oh, things yes. to do with television, but I'm not 100%. Yeah, no, it was yeah. the radio, that's right. Yeah, radio licensing fees have gone down, I think, after all the ins and outs are taken into consideration, like 90% or something like that. Yep. So there's a lot more spare There's an extra 500 million around. available or yeah. something, yeah. Well, so too, there is a television um, fee of about $130 million, which has gone down to $40 million a year mm. annually. I mean, that's, that's a big deal for television broadcasters, I mm, mean, some absolutely. of them are on their knees. Have a look at Channel 10. Channel 10, $232 million loss. Yeah, in I half mean, a year. Yeah. How are I, they, I could do that. How are they going to... I mean, they're going to want um, another crack at the Big Bash, okay, because mm. it was a ratings juggernaut, a million viewers a night for two months. Yeah, I mean, Channel incredible. 10 have never seen so many big figures. <laughs> they got that for $20 million a year at the last broadcasting rights. I'm telling you now, they're not going to get it for $20 <laughs> million a, a year now. again. You know, Cricket Australia wants sixty million, but mm. then of course Channel Channel Nine, Nine want it for nothing. Saying, we want it <laughs> yeah. just as part of the package without <laughs> paying more. Um, but you know, I guess my point is, a, a lot of TV networks are not making a great deal of money and won't be able to throw much money at some of these sports. So to get again that assistance from the government, I think is a good thing. I mean, mm. I've got a I've got a friend who works in PR who said he doesn't think that commercial television is going to exist in twenty years. I mean, it's an interesting concept, <laughs> isn't it? So. Well, everything will, be, that, everything will be Netflix-ish. Yeah. If there's a Netflix for sport, I'd get it. Absolutely. In the I States, would. they've got it. It's called ESPN. Well, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a thought that, you know, the, the papers won't exist in, you know, like the week 12 months. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it is. I, the, I think it's 
uh, was it the age maybe that it would not exist as a weekday hard copy paper. It would just be a weekend paper, which would change things immeasurably. Well, you know what? That lets me segue seamlessly. Mm. So seamlessly I've brought it up and mentioned that I'm segwaying. Mm, speaking of segways. Into the classroom, Sam, and uh, the future that your students are heading out into. Uh, we spoke to Marin Sherwood uh, from La Trobe Uni a couple of weeks ago and she was saying that there's the, the jobs that the kids are going into have adapted, but if the medium isn't there, if, uh, if the money's in a completely different area, if there's no television networks or anything like that we're talking about graduates in the future what do you how do you gear up your kids for the uh for the experience they go for the workforce they're going in going into well as you said it's a very different workforce than it was five years ago or 10 years ago certainly 20 years ago and the jobs will still be there. They'll just be in different areas. They may not be with traditional uh, media outlets. There aren't going to be as many at Fairfax writing for The Age. Mm. There are less and less even for News Limited News Corp. It's not getting as much um, media traction, but they're um, also cutting jobs. But content is still important. And what we've got now is a situation where every single sporting organisation on the planet... <laughs> is a media outlet. I mean, yeah. look at the mm. AFL media, 145 uh, staff operating at AFL media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look at media teams at AFL level and NRL level. Their media team has grown from one media manager that would liaise with the media and tee up interviews to now a whole team creating content, mm. creating video, writing articles. And controlling their narrative. And controlling <laughs> the narrative. And this is a big deal because a lot of the content becomes promotional, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and this yeah. is the... The worry that if 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 independent media um, can't stand on their own two feet, are we just going to be faced with more and more promotional content and also mm. comment and opinion? Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a big balancing act. Do you think um do you think your traditional journo would even can even get a foot in the door in that sort of environment when everything's so tightly tightly packed? Because we've we've seen example after example after example, and not just in the AFL of a major story breaking and it's not done through your traditional journalistic sleuthing. It's because either someone's leaked it or someone's announced it on their own website and then off you go from there. Well, that's a huge point. I mean, it used to be traditionally the print media used to break the stories. Yeah. You know, radio used to talk about them and invite people to talk about them. Television used to cover the, the days, you know, how the story unfolded throughout the day. And that was your reasonably slow media cycle <laughs> from morning to evening. Now it's whipping around like this. But to your point, because each individual, each club has their own means and methods of communications, they're often dictating which stories are broken and how. Mm. You know, they're releasing their own statements. They're holding their own press conferences and the players then will make comment via Instagram and tweet them out. Mm. They'll make statements through the club who will release information and then the media try and pick the story up from there. Yeah. So yeah, this whole notion of how a story comes to light is certainly evolving. I think there's still going to be, um, you know, a level of, um, you know, independent, investigative, objective journalism, but certainly it seems that uh, they're becoming fewer uh, and further between. I mean, in the future, when you look at someone like Fairfax who's putting off 125 staff, this is because there's the theory that advertisers would rather advertise with niche media. They'd rather go to the AFL because they know who their audience is. They'd mm. rather go to specific, you know, media at, at, at I guess, uh, realestate.com or whatever. And it's leaving um, general news kind of in the lurch in terms of how they attract um, advertisers. And unless you've got the money, then you can't pay the staff. Touching on what AJ was mentioning about, you know, the, the students coming out now and having to, to change, Bill Simmons is a, a fascinating example. He started off in what, the, what Sam Newman used to refer to as second-tier media uh, and then got into ESPN and then has moved on and done his own thing and built his own empire, basically. Is there... Well, I guess Rowan Connolly, to a very small degree, he is his own entity, works for a lot of places. Is there 
potential for that to happen. And so, you know, carolinewilson.com becomes the place that people go and she works there. She does that and people, advertisers will know that she has all of the contacts, all the stories. So they'll pump their advertising into her new thing. Is, is that something that we could see in Australia? I think so. Um, and to an extent, it kind of already happens. I mean, a lot of organisations are creating content, but they actually don't own a platform. They then sell the platform. Look at Croc Media and yeah. Craig Hutchison. I yeah. mean, he creates an enormous amount of content, both for radio and television. He doesn't own a television station. He doesn't own a radio station. He creates content for them and then believes that the content is good enough to sell into organisations that are looking for particular content. So, yeah, the content's almost becoming more important than the medium or the organisation mm. itself because yeah. um, we have such a great range. We're now not forced to go to Channel 9 or Channel 7 or Channel 10 or the Herald Sun or the Age. We get to choose. Mm. Uh, and so we go to where what we're interested in and the content we believe is the best. Um, and so the fight is on to attract, uh, you know, people to their product. And it's usually done with, with content, with ideas, with creative thinking. So that's what, for our students, we try and get them to think. How can you tell your story really creatively? How, what's your point of differentiation, you know? And, and, you know? and by doing that, then you'll become very valuable to media organisations. Yeah. I want to, just to touch on that, to make your you're talking creativity and we've touched on uh, there's a lot more opinion around at the moment and we want to talk about the content but the quality of that content because uh, for our northern states listeners we've had some fairly blanket NRL coverage of the cocaine scandals going on there but it seems to be that any any coverage of the NRL has to skew negative um, and I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is when it comes to opinion versus straight reporting, it seems that every, sadly everything's turning towards an opinion-based thing and or like a hot take mentality. Is that is that fair? I think so, and I think there's definitely I hate it. been a trend Andrew's towards not, not it. Not big on hot takes, Andrew. No. Well, you know, I have this discussion with our students quite often. Um, we've never been a more monitored um, uh, bunch of consumers. They know what we're clicking on. They know mm. what we're engaging with. They know what we're commenting on and what we're sharing. And unfortunately, they know that we react strongest to often provocative opinion and sometimes mm. negative news and they play on that. I mean, engagement is a big deal to media organisation. That's how they measure um, loyalty, listenership, readership, how often we'll engage, how often we'll like something, comment mm. on something. And guess what? We generally comment most as a society and engage most with strong opinion because it irks us or we believe in it. <laughs> and we have it in politics and we have it in media, yeah. really quite extreme opinions designed to engage us or to get a reaction from us. So I don't think it's going anywhere because this metric of engagement, mm. it's important to them and they've cottoned on to what we click on. Yeah. Even a comment saying this is rubbish, you're a moron, still counts as engagement. Like, like yep. we said, Andrew, clicks have no emotion. You exactly. Can, click you can in like anger. click, you can hate click. It's all the same to the advertiser. On that point and on the NRL thing, and I don't necessarily think we want to go too far into this, but one thing I heard recently in terms of media and reporting a story, particularly a story that is controversial like the the, the cocaine story, um, Proctor and Bromwich on the weekend, is getting the timeline right. So you can hear all of these different things, oh, I think this happened, that happened, that happened. But before you actually go, hang on, I need to ask you, get the timeline right. Now, the game was at 8pm. The game would have finished after 9.30, they wouldn't have got back to their hotel in Canberra till after 10.30. They had dinner. There's there's something not quite right about the story that the two um, are, are telling about how they got to a point where they don't remember the incident. <laughs> and I want to stop any speculation there and turn to the PR side of things, Sam. With an incident like that, how as a PR manager do you attack that? Is it blanket 
coverage straight away saying, yep, we've done this, we're sorry, or do you pull away and hope that it goes away? How, how do you deal with it? Well, I think these days pulling away and hoping it goes away doesn't work. Yep. You know, that gets you fired. Well, I think you're better <laughs> to jump on the front foot and try and control the narrative. You might not control it completely, but if you don't, then the media will take a hold of it and then God knows what will happen to the story. Yeah. Um, so I think that you should be... On the front foot, I think you should be um, uh, sh- you know, show initiative by moving pretty quickly and by putting your side or your commentary forward. And that doesn't just mean explaining what happens. It means what your next move is. All right, this has happened and now we're going to do this mm. to fix it. Now, the media might still run with their own narrative, but at least you've been proactive in trying to shape the story um, the best way you can. And that's exactly what happened in this instance where mm. both... Uh, Bromwich and Proctor have stood down from their respective leadership positions and it's been perfectly yeah, yeah, stage yeah, they stood down. Well, no, no, sorry. <laughs> they came out they and said, said that yes. they'd, they'd stood down. So it's been they perfectly stage They got caught on CCTV, weren't they? Yeah. The other thing to note is that stories are now broken in parts, I think. Once upon a time, a journalist might have a story that they're sitting on, that they're trying to get more information so that they can tell us the full picture. Mm. Now it's like, they break stories in parts and then there'll be an update and then another part of the story and then another part of the story and it's up to us to interpret what's happened and to join the dots, which is quite strange. That used to be the journalist's role, to join mm. the dots for us. Mm. But and now then, you've just got to get something up, don't you? Now they've got yeah. to get something up. And so if you miss part of the story and don't get a couple of the dots, then your idea of what's actually happened can be completely warped because <laughs> not no one story will properly tell you. It's also interesting now in events like this, and not just in sport, um, where those gaps exist, uh, publication will pick them up from someone else and just republish for all intents and purposes saying so-and-so said to Fairfax or so-and-so said to news.com this. Well, this always happens because we've got so many digital media outlets out Mm. there desperate for content, and that's (laughs) where the... News Limited Press and Fairfax will argue that they're still so important, that they have the better journalists, they have more resources and they break more news and provide a greater depth and range of analysis than their digital counterparts. On the flip side, if you're sacking 125 new staff and they've sacked over, you know, or made redundant, over 500 over the last five years, that Mm. whole... PR pitch can fall a little bit flat. But, I mean, it is an important point because that's what they would argue. Yep, you've got a lot of options out there in terms of where you get your news, but we're the best. We often create the news first that they take and run with. And you've got things like SEN using people that are on Fox, also using audio from Fox. You've got Herald Sun linked in with that as well. And so an SEN morning uh, segment can be based upon what someone opined on a TV show on Fox. They play that. Let's talk about that. And then someone will write an article about that. And one story (laughs) is everywhere based on just someone having a thought. It's amazing. I'm fascinated by it. I think it's brilliant that they've managed to do it. And I don't know how that can continue. Um, Paul Kent, who's one of the leading rugby league writers, said a couple of weeks ago... um, when all of the your traditional mid-season contract talk in the NRL was all coming to a head and there was kind of an explosion on social media of people saying, for God's sake, cut this rubbish and just talk about the game. And mm-hmm. Kent said on the NRL 360 show that people aren't interested in the game, they're interested in what goes on during the week. Yep. And that led to a reasonably big stink on the show and also uh, in the online communities. What do, What do you think, Sam? Is that... It's a fascinating um, discussion because I know when uh, the Essendon Supplement Saga was running, um, you would listen to media people say, you know, on the one hand we have people ringing up saying they're completely sick of this topic, can we please move on? 
On the other hand, they know that when they put an Essendon story up on their website, say SEN, do an Essendon segment, package it up, put it on their website, they know it'll be the most listened to, most clicked on, most read article on the entire website. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and that's why in many ways the story went on and on and on and on. <laughs> Um, look, people are fascinated in not just the sport but all its issues now. It's one of the great changes in the, that the sports media coverage of sport has created. You know, once upon a time we didn't know who any CEOs were of any clubs. Yeah, Presidents didn't get <laughs> coverage. Um, we had no idea about, you know, um, what players did away from the game. Um, now we know it all. Well, we did because we, we saw their little player profile in the footy record. <laughs> I want to ask about that. Um, we know well, who is it? Josh Jenkins from Adelaide. Yep, uh, and a number of other players. This is AFL have come out, and I'll use AFL in this example because that's the more tightly controlled one. Mm. Um, you've got your narratives coming out of the teams. You've got your narratives from head office, but the players also want to have their own uh, voice, to put it that way. Um, and. I guess it's not a. It's not a. They're not having a fight with their own media managers, but I've got. I get the impression that there's a lot of players, a lot of sports people across Australia, who want to build their own profile. You know, set themselves up for later down the track, but also, uh, you know, be beyond the cliches, so to speak. Um, how how's a way to do that without? You've got to kind of burn the house down to get them out, don't you? Yeah, uh, look, and we've discussed before that a lot of players do want to have their say and they want to be heard or they want to even cultivate an image Mm. and they do this through their social media. I mean, make no mistakes, I'm not saying all, but some players out there cultivate their image via their social media Mm -hmm. channels for all sorts of commercial reasons. And again, I'm not just talking about Australian sports men and women here, it's probably more prevalent, you know, internationally. And part of the reason... A lot more cash involved there too, overseas, yeah. And part of the reason they do it is for the cash because yeah. if you've got a good image, uh, sometimes the endorsements and the sponsorship deals are bigger than any prize money or contracts that you might land from actually playing on the field. Well, so, we saw that with Anna Kornikova and that was before the social media day. So it's, it's not... It's not necessarily a, a new thing, but it's definitely there's greater ability for the players to do so. And the other thing the players are doing is having their say on issues where appropriate um, or not, um, you know, through their own channels. I mean, you know, once upon a time, if you wanted to make a statement, you'd have to either call, you know, hold a press conference or get your media manager to contact a a journalist that was in your corner if you Mm. wanted to make Mm. a statement. Now it quite literally can be done in any way you wish, including the traditional or the very new forms of utilising your own channels. And we saw that with Easton Wood and his comments on gambling advertising during sports, which there's been an announcement on that as well. Yes, banned between, I think it's 9am and and 830 PM. Yeah, no, no, no gambling advertising on at live sports from five minutes before the game till five minutes after. That's right. Which I don't think they said anything about Tom Waterhouse being on the panel <laughs> or, or Nathan Brown sort of going from the panel to behind the thing, going, "Oh, and in today's market, oh, I was like, no." Yeah. Um, that's actually let's talk about that. Okay, the gambling stuff because to me that's um, that's really clever marketing by the gambling agencies because they uh, recruited guys like Christian Jansen, who was a journo with Fox Sports, got people who had visible profiles as sports journalists and sports media personalities. And now we've also got a lot of um, people coming through, ex-players and things like that. So what do you think of that? Setting aside the fact, you know, gambling is evil, we all hate it and all of that sort of thing. But the way they've ingratiated themselves into the Australian sporting landscape is nothing short of incredible. Oh, it, and it's happened in the blink of an eye, relatively speaking. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, obviously it's built momentum over the past decade, but they've been very clever in using popular sport in particular as this great big tool to grab a whole lot of new customers. Mm. I mean, once upon a time, those that were interested in horse racing or the dish lickers or harness racing used to have a punt. Now I'm telling you, almost everybody you know has a betting account and so Hmm. much betting activity is based around popular sports. So, yep, they've taken personalities who understand the media and sport. They've 
not just utilise sport, they've integrated themselves into popular sport to, um, to attract millions of new customers to their product. And they've done it and they're some of the wealthiest organisations in the yeah. country, in the world. You'd, you'd stand back and applaud if you weren't so horrified about the gambling <laughs> problem. Yeah, I, I, would, I would actually be fascinated to know uh, the people who have just gone, oh, yeah, I'll have a pun on first goal kicker. Oh, I better set up an account to do that. How much they've then increased their their gambling on other sports? Have they then just gone? Oh, I'm watching mm. some soccer. I'll bet on that. Oh, people like, would treat it as if as, as a second bank account. Yeah, yeah, they do. And the sports, I mean, they will begrudgingly um, go along with this and put up their hand and say, "I think it's a good thing." But secretly, they'd be thinking it's not such a great thing because they know if someone's got five dollars on, um, you know, Essendon beating Geelong, then they'll often watch. They want to watch what they've put their money on, mm. uh, and so it increases engagement in the sport as well as the gambling organisation. So if all of a sudden you haven't got a bet on a game, you might not want to catch any of it. It might just not be interested mm. of interest. But if you've got a few bob riding on it, you might want to catch the last quarter or the whole game. Yeah, yeah fascinating. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. But, oh, no, well, no wonder they're all onto it. Then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> let's, let's move off gambling. And look, we talk here a lot about AFL. We're based in Melbourne. There's... Uh, a regular listener of ours, Rod Brown, who's based in Sydney. And whenever I mention, you know, the all-pervasive AFL media, he's just like, it's just not like that up in Sydney. It is NRL and AFL is not necessarily as prevalent. But are we seeing this cycle where you have to have AFL, 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 or NRL, 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 and so super rugby doesn't get a look in. And we've talked about basketball, baseball, other sports not getting a look in. And is is there a way to turn that around without dollars? I don't see it happening anytime soon. I mean, Sunday morning I woke up and I went down to the local market and grabbed the newspaper and Sunday was A-League Grand Final Day. And mm. in Melbourne, Melbourne's biggest club was competing against another huge club of the competition, Sydney. And I, re- I pick up the Herald Sun and page 88 was the back page. I had to turn to page 68 to get any coverage of the A-League Grand Final. The preceding pages were completely and utterly dedicated to the AFL, round seven. It was quite extraordinary. And the day after the the Monday, the Herald Sun had a back page where three quarters of it was a picture of from the game and that was page 62 and I think it was page 56, 57 or 57, 58 mm-hmm. which was the two-page spread on the grand final and that was it. And furthermore, the Herald Sun website throughout the day were far more preoccupied oh, with what yeah. George Columbaris got up to yeah. uh, pushing yep. a fan. I mean, that seemed to be the big story mm. that came out of the A-League grand final. And I think the Herald Sun tweeted in the pre-match... Uh, photo of a flare that had been let off and said, uh, I think, uh, I can be quoted on this, but it said uh, the game is continuing under a terror alert or something, under a mild terror threat or something. It's quite extraordinary just how much... everything going on in Sydney that day would have been operating under a terror threat. But anyway. Yeah, I'm fascinated. I mean, you know, uh, I I follow the AFL very closely and, and have worked in the AFL media on the fringe, but I, I sometimes cannot believe just how much coverage there is of the AFL. But, I mean, it does go to the heart of um, what a cultural phenomenon it is. I mean, you know, I wrote a, a book um, that was very much about the play element and how play, the act of playing, stimulates community and culture. Well, I mean, you look at any market in the world, it is very unusual to have nine elite professional competition uh, teams in the same competition coming out of one market that attracts the fourth highest 
average crowds in any competition in the world um, and that continually thrives. I mean, there's something more than just media coverage driving that. It's been a cultural phenomenon since the 1850s. Um, And if you were starting the AFL from scratch today, there's no way known you'd say, oh, well, we'll have nine teams in Melbourne. (laughs) You just wouldn't do it. And none of them can stand alone without the AFL support. But to give them a better chance of doing that, you'd have maybe three or four teams here, a few up in Sydney, et cetera, et cetera, to, you know, ensure they can all attract their sponsorship dollars and their corporate money. So, I mean, the fact that we've got nine teams here in Melbourne, one just down the road in Geelong, gives you – and they're all still here – they're all still here, uh, gives you an idea of the appetite that this city has for the game and the media, yes, in part drive it, but B, recognise what people want to read. Mm. You know, and, they measure us. And that's something that, that we're conscious of and we do often apologise when we go on to, say, talk about AFL, but we do try to, you know, yeah, shine a light on, on other less popular sports but it's as we always say it's all pervasive it just it it's is front of mind though. all pervasive but like you just said it's not necessarily all pervasive in the other states where it's no. played and i'm getting the getting the feeling just from what you said sam that that's probably because there is, the the legacy isn't there of over you know 150 odd years of the game while the game may have been there it's not uh, it's not as what deep into culture a listener of ours from queensland was commenting over the weekend, just gone that he's just gone, just stop talking AFL. Like, they mm-hmm. talk about some rugby. Like, it's, and I'm like, but we don't really. He's like, you talk about it more than you think. And you just don't know. Because as you <laughs> say, like, they don't have that, the, the, the in depth 150 year history. I don't know. It, look, it's really interesting because um, you listen to something, a, a sports-only station such as SEN, which is not an AFL station, it's a sports station. But, in, in name only. But tune into their <laughs> breakfast and, what, 90% is discussion about yeah. the AFL. Yep. Um, SEN's the, ra- the sports radio station where all the hosts pose for their profile pictures holding a Sharon. That's right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, that in itself is fascinating. I mean, there's a lot of sports in the world that aren't as old as Australian football. A lot of the sports haven't weren't codified as far back as what the AFL was, or the VFL or Australian football was, in the 1850s. Um, and there's something in this, you know, there's something in this cultural, um, uh, historical fanaticism that is still driving it today. I mean, the media's jumped on board and it helps drive it. But few teams are manufactured. I mean, you know, they're not like a Melbourne Stars or a Melbourne Renegades that are just being plonked in the market and all of a sudden you've got marketers saying, oh, but that's your side. You like the colour mm. red. You'll barrack for them. <laughs> I mean, these teams in the AFL have far greater depth than that. And so it will take time for teams like Victory and City and the Rebels um, to ingrain themselves into the city because people need to develop an affinity. Winning can do that. Have a look at the Melbourne Storm down here. But they don't get a lot of traction, but they do have a special place in a lot of Melbournians' heart. Mm. Interesting you say about the you know, requiring, you know, like having the teams and, you know, people being forced, not necessarily forced, but, you know, you support this team, you support that team. In the A-League, they're looking at expansion. It's been put on hold due to financial and administrative reasons, but it was thought initially that Dandenong Casey in Victoria and Geelong had very good cases for the another team or one of the new teams. Brisbane City in the last week, have come up and are now, for all intents and purposes, the front runner because they've put together such an impressive proposal. They want derbies. They want cross-town rivals. Mm. Brisbane City have to get and they're that kind second of, They're team. kind of ignoring demographics to do so because the Dandenong, uh, the Dandenong area is a massive hotbed for football. Largest for growing soccer, population soccer area. Football and the largest growing and it's multicultural and everything. Anything you would want to do with a soccer football club, you'd do it there. Mm. But they want a derby, derby playoff showdown in Brisbane, so it'll probably end up that way. 
Well, it's the old battle between the bottom up or the top down, isn't yeah. it? You know, you're quite right. If you if you asked a broadcaster um, what they want, Fox are probably going to say, "Yeah, we'd love that Brisbane team another derby." You know, yeah. they're our highest rating games for the year. We can really sell them, promote them, build a narrative around them, and ensure that we've got sponsors and advertisers ready to go to make us and the competition. Um, as much money as possible. The flip side is, though, soccer or, you know, the world game, football, has more active participants at the junior and grassroots level than any sport, mm. any football code in Australia. By nearly but it, double. But it doesn't <laughs> translate into support for the A-League. So perhaps mm. if you did do this more on grassroots and geographical lines, all of a sudden if kids can see you know, where they're from, that they've got a representative team and they're playing at the top level in Australia, then it would then translate into that support. I think a lot of people play and then look at the A-League mm. and think, well, who do I barrack for? Well, yeah. there's a good case study there in the Western Sydney Wanderers oh, who yeah. were put together as a community-based club, using air quotes here, sorry, folks, it's a podcast, um, as a community-based club with grassroots involvement. And they average one of the highest crowds. Even though this year they stunk, um, people still went. People still went, and it's a it's a hell of an experience going to a home game for a Western Sydney and, game. And Melbourne Heart, now Melbourne City, when they first came in, yeah, the other side of the coin, South they? Melbourne wanted to be that club, and they said the A League went, no, 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 no. We don't want the, the the historical sort of like you know national nationality lines. What they needed to do, the because they were the second team here, was actually own a side of the river. They mm. should have said, okay, we're going to train in Q and we'll be <sighs> south or we're going to train in Preston and we'll represent the north of the city. And by that, it would have forced Melbourne victory to then represent the other side of the city without really having a say in it. But... It didn't quite work out like that and Melbourne City are still struggling for, for support. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, here's the, here's the classic debate because, you know, the A-League would argue, well, hang on, if we can create these big marquee matches, if we can create cross-town rivalries that generate huge crowds, that generate big television ratings, ultimately that means more money for the A-League, which mm. they want, and then they will say, and then we'll invest in the grassroots. Yep. And then our competition will establish and we will get that transfer yeah. from participation to support. And again, the flip side is, well, how about we just build big teams based on the grassroots mm. and give them a pathway uh, to be passionate and that'll lead to its own monetary income and increased support. So, you know, I don't know what they'll do. Mm. Um, you know, my gut feeling is they always say, oh, we, we'll make our own decision and won't let the broadcasters have a say. Maybe it's because I'm, you know, always got <laughs> one eye on the media, but I doubt that very much. I yeah. think the Fox will have a big say. Uh, they're crying out the A-League too for a free-to-air partner to mm. grab a hold yep. of this, to create a narrative about it, to be positive about it because mm. so much of yep. the free-to-air coverage is about scandal. So they want someone to own it, mm. to pump it up and to mean, you know, to, to make something big of it on there's, a Saturday There's not night. a very good history of that in Australian free-to-air commercial TV, is there? It's, no, it's interesting no. though. Soccer is a more of a... I mean, some of the best sporting events I've been to have been soccer matches, mm. the qualifiers and a couple of the Melbourne derbies. And they are way more fun and way more enjoyable than an AFL game on a million levels. And you saw in the grand final just gone, when Sydney scored their goal, that joint was absolutely packed to the rafters yeah. and it was just rocking the sound back and forth. Was incredible. And the sound was incredible. But Sydney FC averaged like 12,000 if that throughout the year. Yep. And that's not a Sydney thing. This is across the thing because it happens in Brisbane too. They average maybe 10,000 and then when they made the grand finals, it was packed up at Suncorp with like 52 or whatever it holds. So I think it's, um, I don't know, they, uh, like you said, Sam, they can't, they can't translate that interest into regular, regular business. No, and another reason for that is that we may not have discussed about, I mean, international competitions or, you know, um, leagues abroad, such as the EPL, have never been more accessible. Yeah, I mean, you know, true. obviously mm. Optus has got that which upset the Apple Cup, but <laughs> once upon a time, 20 years ago, you couldn't watch it 
as regularly and as easily as you can. So a lot of people that, you know, play the game follow um, leagues and teams across the world because you can legitimately do that because you can watch games on television or streamed via the Optus product. And so all of a sudden the A-League's got competition, not just from the AFL and the NRL, but from higher competitions (laughs) around the world. That's funny. AFL doesn't have that. No, (laughs) but... Sort on similar to that, but looking at rugby union, people have a lot of people used to play rugby union. It's it's dropping in terms of participation rates, and that's been shown through in the interest levels, the the crowds that are that are going along, and the money that those clubs have. And so, it's a big international sport like soccer is but it just hasn't been able to to grab people i wonder if it's the nbl syndrome let's call it where the nbl had a better decade in the 90s where it was forefront of a few minds packing out houses all over tv i wonder if the late 90s to mid 2000s was rugby unions yeah time yeah plus i don't think people can make sense of the competition I I really think that they have trouble understanding and making sense of it all. Who's playing who? Who's where on the ladder? What does this game mean for the two teams? Mm. I mean, it's part of the reason why the Big Bash has been such a phenomenon and why people can't make sense of one day as an international (laughs) T20s because unless you're in a World Cup, people go, what's the significance of this? With the Big Bash, there's a ladder. There's rounds. We can see what's happening with the ladder and how big this game is. And I think people look at uh, Super Rugby and they're a bit confused. Oh, now we're playing in South Africa. Now we're in New Zealand. Now we're back. And what does it all mean? I think it was going okay until last season when they broke it into the four divisions and introduced the Sunwolves and the... Los Jaguares. Los Los Jaguares. Um, It doesn't help that the Australian teams suck. Well, as I was looking at the ladder during the week, actually, and... um, the worst New Zealand team has is five from ten, five wins, five losses. The best Australian team, which is the Brumbies, is three wins from ten. And the way the competition is structured means that the Brumbies are getting into the competition ahead of uh, getting into the finals ahead of a New Zealand team that might have won six or seven games out of the ten so far. And there's your confusion, well, <laughs> and I mean, your and your resentment as well. Yeah, mm. absolutely, because that what that just doesn't make sense to a lot of sports people no. that might not know a <laughs> lot about the actual competition or the sport, but like to pay a little bit of attention. But that doesn't make sense. And I mean, so much so down here in Melbourne, I mean, the Rebels, and I know their their future is is clouded. But I mean, where did they fit in the in mm. the media? Uh, sorry, sports landscape down they got, here. They it's, got five, it's and hard half, to t- five and a half thousand to their last game last weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that and, says and it all. Comprehensively got beaten. flogged. Yeah. yeah, they'll probably get more. I think this week they play another Australian team. Do they the Reds or? Uh, no, so, I don't think it'll matter. No, <laughs> no. But, but, but that's huge though. Rebels against the Reds, seven forty-five Saturday night. That's a prime time premium spot for sport and. Fox just must be kicking themselves at the, the standards where it's at at the moment. Well, here's the difference, too, that I was having a discussion with a fellow who follow, uh, follows the, the Rebels in, in a pub the other night where all good conversations take place. <laughs> uh, and we were talking about, you know, the Rebels being a, an expansion team, if you like, from seven or eight years ago. And, you know, the difference between what the AFL did with its expansion teams compared to the ARU. I mean, when the AFL went to the west of Sydney, you were convinced that they were going to throw the kitchen sink at them, Mm. that they were going to give them everything they could to be successful. Why? Because everyone loves a winner. Mm. And if you want to attract support and sponsorship and membership and advertising dollars, you've got to be, at some stage of your early years, successful. Mm. And that's why the AFL is a nervous wreck about the Gold Coast and that's why the <laughs> Rebels have never quite grabbed Melbourne yet because they haven't had that successful period. They probably haven't been assisted to and many would mm. argue that that's fair enough but it is one of the reasons why they're, they've always languished. Because yeah. the Melbourne Storm won a premiership in their second, second year. year. I they remember made finals first year, won the flag second year. I remember being at a local football game. I think AJ might have been playing down at Box Hill and they actually announced over the, the loudspeakers 
the score in the Storm game and that the Storm had won their first final. And people in the crowd were like, oh, hey. So everyone loves a winner. It, it was remarkable. From memory, they came from the clouds in that particular game. I think they stormed home yeah, they, I think against St George. I remember or... one of the greatest grand finals, 14-0 down at half time. Yep. Uh, Anthony Mundine dropped the ball over the line that would have killed it. And then the penalty try to penalty Craig try. Smith. Glenn Lazarus doing cartwheels, all of that. It was fantastic. And, and the post-match was tremendous. Yeah. And then their remarkable success, you know, with a few controversial moments in mm. between, but their remarkable success has lent themselves to be admired almost, you know, universally here in this AFL-centric city. Mm. Whilst they don't get an enormous amount of cut through, most people speak very positively um, about them. And, and they and still, in NRL terms, they still have a very high average crowd. I think it's up around over 15 grand, 15,000 per home game. But it's interesting you mentioned the, the salary cap uh, issues that the Storm had. And I guess uh, there was a lot of uh, loyalty from supporters and the Melbourne community uh, to get to help them through that period, I guess. And I guess that was built on the early success that brought people in. I wonder if it also had something to do with the Sydney journos and their resentment or disdain yeah. for Melbourne. <laughs> like Roy Masters still can't stand mm. the Melbourne Storm. And There's I think a lot of hate early because News Limited owned them and all that's of that right. sort of stuff. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. But I, I, from a uh, reputational perspective, uh, remarkably... It didn't do them uh, – well, it did do them bad. But down here mm. in Melbourne, you're right. A lot of people, I think, looked at this and thought, would the penalties have been exactly the same if it was a Sydney team? Now, mm. maybe the answer is yes, it would have been. But I think a lot of Melbourne people looked at that with a great deal of scepticism and mm -hmm. in the end sided with the storm. Yeah, yeah. And that's kept them strong heading forward. I reckon that might just about do us on uh, – <laughs> on what started out as yeah. sports media and went on a, a journey to... Well, would we dare say it was a sporting discussion, Andrew? I certainly would, <laughs> AJ, say that it was a sporting discussion, which is quite apt. Let's go a little bit of a fast view, shall we, before we, we wrap things up. Is it all AFL? No. Hey, just before we do, do you know baseball's been in Australia longer than Aussie rules? Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. Let's move on to the fast few. Ice hockey's been in Australia for a lot longer than most people would think as well. I'll find out that. Well, um, hopefully they get a couple of mil from the $31 million pool to get up on some pay TV. Exactly. Sam, we usually finish off by just doing a quick run through of some things that have caught our eye in the last week or something that we're looking forward to. So we play a little whoosh sound and I'll play that now. It was a sad week in sports media with the passing of the, the legend Lou Richards, as well as playing 250 games for Collingwood, captaining them to a premiership in 1953. Lou was really the first former player to, to make that big move into the media and absolutely dominated from the moment he did. He was working in the papers at the Argus and the Sun News Pictorial. He went on to television on the world of sport, then with Jack Dyer and Bobby Davis on league teams, onto the Sunday footy show where... His handball competition was mm. just – that was ubiquitous. It was the show. And he paved the way for, for sports entertainment genre that is all around us. And did a lot of things that these days no one would be allowed to get away with, particularly on league teams. Not that I'm old enough to know, but that's so I'm told by my elders. Right. <laughs> well, I was going to talk about Sydney FC winning the A-League, which we touched on briefly before uh, – 5-3 on penalties against uh, Melbourne victory. 4-2. 4-2 as well. Uh, but the more important part was that it's one of the – it is it is the most successful club season in A-League history, mm -hmm. besting Ange Postacoglu's Raw Salona, as they were known, um, when they won the their two back-to-back Championship. And their 2010-11 season in particular, which was the mm. one loss and Sydney one loss, but Sydney, with Sydney more only games. conceded 12 regular season goals and one finals goal. Incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of the, I'll, I'll read more of the stats next week because we're running out of time here. And because we're running out of time, that is it for episode 56 of A Sporting Discussion. Remember, if there's anything you want to talk to us about or if you want to take us to task over anything discussed in this week's show, you can get us on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or go to facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. 
Tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast service they use. We're on pretty much all of them, but if your friend's having trouble, let us know and we will let them know. Uh, we recommend you listen via wooshka.com uh, on the desktop site. Have a sneaky listen at work. We'll put some links up on our Facebook page as well. And if you listen via iTunes, leave us a review. We need the ego stroke, don't we, Andrew? You're looking a bit down this week. Oh, no. I'm chipper. I'm all right. Yeah, but, you, you put know, on a brave face. I do. Some I reviews do. would help, wouldn't it? Uh, the, oh, absolutely they would. And what would also help was you 7.15am on 3RRFM Monday mornings uh, talking Western Bulldogs with the Breakfasters. Talking all things sport, AJ. I will also be making my debut in the commentary box for Girls Play Footy on Sunday afternoon, 2pm from the Peanut Farm Reserve, St Kilda against Melbourne Uni. You can listen to it on TuneIn Radio. You can listen to it on digital radio on RSN. Two, yeah. we'll, we'll spruik the links to that too. Sam, anything you want to spruik? Book? Well, yes, by all means, get out there and buy footy grounds to footy grounds to grandstands and read all about how play stimulates communities and cultures. But it's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having oh, me. It's been brilliant to have you here. Thanks AJ, are, much, you, yes. are you are you writing? I'm still working on something very mysterious Ooh. and uh, exciting. Okay, it does involve writing though. But anyway, that'll right. do. That'll do. We'll be back next week. We promise. <laughs>